One of the largest security operations in history took place today. The Clinton Global Initiative is back, baby. And Joe Biden says things about Hunter Biden. You're watching the Propaganda Report's Drive Time News Blast. I am Brad Binkley. I want to start with a quick meetup announcement today. The volunteerists of Dallas-Fort Worth are meeting up on, it says here in my message, Friday, September 24th, but I believe this is this upcoming Friday. I believe that is the 23rd. And most of their meetups are on Thursdays and Fridays, so I think Friday, September 23rd is the date, and that is at 6.30 p.m. in Dallas at, Tex- at Terry Black's Barbecue. Check it out. I know one of the organizers of this meetup. He flew from Dallas to Atlanta, drove to Smyrna, Georgia, to the Propaganda Report meetup at Neighbors Feed and Seed about a year and a half, two years ago. Cool guy, fun guy. Check this out. It's no doubt going to be a good time, I can guarantee it. And I think they do it on a regular basis, so check that out if you're into that sort of thing. All right, top story of the day, the Queen's funeral. I know that everybody took the day off today, yesterday, depending on when you are listening to this, and you sat in front of your TV or your computer with a box of tissue, just sobbing all day, mourning the queen as you watch the very, very long and elaborate funeral. Or at least that is what the media would have us believe, that everybody did that in their reporting on it. Because they don't have the numbers yet on how many people watched the queen's funeral. However, they expect that the number of people that watched via live stream and television will exceed or exceeded over four billion people. Billion. That's nearly half of the population of the planet that they are telling us watched the Queen's funeral. You look to your left, you look to your right. One of those guys, one of those gals, they watched the Queen's funeral. That's what they say. I don't know that I believe that, but if they come even close to that number, and there's no doubt that there's going to be a massive amount of people. This is the largest the most viewed broadcast in history of the world is what they're saying. And I believe that aspect of it. I don't know that I believe the $4 billion. However, there's no better demonstration of the impact of the connected world that we live in than this. There really is not. They compare her, the viewership of hers, with that of Churchill's. And Churchill's could not compare because the world was not as connected through the web. Now, I heard Kamala during an interview last week talking about how they are trying to bridge the digital divide, as they say, and get people in the rural areas connected. They're not, they, they talk about it like they're trying to help people when the reality is some people don't want to be connected, but they want everyone connected to the Borg because our screens, while helpful, the internet, while helpful to us, And while the world is dependent on it, it is a direct connection, direct contact with our brains, our unconscious minds, especially that of children. And they want us all connected to this Borg. And they even talked about, Kamala did, a program that they're going to be rolling out, which there was an executive order, I believe, released a couple of days ago about this, where they're going to be trying to get iPads in the hands of people who can't afford them, kind of like the Obama phone deal a few years back. So, not only that, not only is this, this a great example of the connected world, on top of being the most viewed, they say, it's also expected to have been the most attended funeral in the history of mankind when it comes to combining those inside and outside. Two million or so people, they say, line the streets outside. This is what they're anticipating or their estimation. While there was 2,000 specially invited people inside, 
The Washington Post describes the Queen's funeral like this, as a summit of the global who's who with representatives of nearly 200 countries and territories and 500 heads of state and prominent individuals, including kings and queens of the Netherlands, Spain, and Belgium, and of course our own President Obama there paying his respects to the late Queen, making her funeral one of the largest gatherings of world leaders in human history. Not bad for a monarch that they tell us doesn't have any real power. Give me an effing break. Of course they do. In fact, if you think about this, if you think about all of these world leaders who were there, if any one of them died today, tomorrow, a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now, none of them, none of their, their counterparts would not all go to their funeral. That's not going to happen. This might very well be the last time in human history that there is an event such as this because of the, the queen's symbol, the status around the world. Everybody knew who she was. Now, I'm not commenting on whether somebody likes her or not. I'm just saying her as a status symbol and her as a famous person, 96 years old. She's been alive for like almost everybody's lifetime. There's very few people who have been alive longer than the queen. They should be given an award. They should make those people the kings and queens. Which brings me to what I find to be the most interesting part of this whole thing, and that is the security effort. You think about it. We have 200 heads of states, influential, whatever, however they described it, prominent individuals, 23 members of the royal family inside one building at one time. You have 2 million people, they say, mourning outside, right outside where the funeral is being held. This is a prime target for a terror attack. And that is one of the things they talk about in some of these articles. And they actually say that the security effort that they had for the Queen's funeral was the biggest security operation in Britain's history since World War II. Other publications are calling the security operation the largest security operation in the history of mankind. I don't know which one is more accurate, but I do find some of the measures they took interesting. Not that I didn't think that some of these measures were already going on around the world, but just to hear them describe it, I do find it interesting, and I want to I describe some of it to you all as well. Here's what they had. They had snipers on the rooftops, they had surveillance drones. They had 10,000 uniformed police officers and thousands more in plain clothes. They, along with that officer presence, they had military staff on standby, and they already have 1 million CCT, CCTV cameras in London, making it the most surveilled city in the world. I would leave that off of your brochure for tourists. Welcome to London, the most surveilled city in the world where we're always watching, I wouldn't put that part on that catalog if it were me. Okay, so the people who were waiting in line in the queue, you know, there was the stories about David Beckham waiting hours in the queue. They, had, they were subjected to airport-style security checks. I don't know what that means over there in the UK. I know what it means here. You get molested by the TSA. And that, they had to go through that before being allowed into the same room as the queen's coffin. So they had to get groped by like a TSA-like agent before going in the same room there, which is interesting because I would think that that kind of security measure will be done to protect the people outside in line as opposed to the actual dead body that they're going to be, what are they going to, they're going to steal it. I mean, it's probably worth a ton at a pawn shop willing to take it though. Most are probably going to not be willing to put themselves under that scrutiny. I do get Maybe they want to prevent climate activists from coming inside and gluing themselves to the queen's casket. 
because that's a possibility at any major event at this point. And it would be weird, though, because we're like, we have the king climate change here. We have king ESG, king sustainable development goals, king 2030. He's all about that stuff. So I wouldn't expect the climate activists. It's weird. Do climate activists hate or love, love the king? I almost called him the prince. But he seems to be on their side, but nobody seems to like this guy. More on that here in a second. All right, on top of those security checks, the roads around central London were closed to unauthorized vehicles. That makes sense. It didn't seem too out of the ordinary. But as the royals have been moving along in the crowds these past few weeks, or this past week, they haven't been behind the type of protection they've usually been behind. And so they've had the officers in the crowd that were trained in crowd management, scanning the crowds for threats. They also had undercover cops mixed in, and they had sniffer dogs out there trained to find explosives and firearms. I don't know that they're trained to find COVID. That might also be a good thing. Get the COVID people out of here. It also made sure that all nearby manhole covers had been lifted and checked for explosives. They checked every lamppost for explosives. They searched all of them. They had police spotters and snipers stationed on the top of buildings around central London. The Met had three helicopters at its disposal. Drones had been banned, except, except for the ones they controlled, from flying over a large part of central London. And... This guy named Peter Williams, who was a lecturer and a former police officer at, John, at Liverpool's John Moore University Center for Advanced Policing Studies, he said that under mutual aid agreements, this is interesting, police officers from around the UK have been drafted into London to support the Met. It'll be 12-hour shifts, day and night shifts, and the management is actually really complex. The right amount of police officers with the correct skills need to be in the right place at the right time. That I can understand that last part, and there are a variety of skill sets there, but the fact that they were drafted into this service, I'm guessing that means they had no choice but go work on this, this, the job of the Queen's funeral. Interesting stuff there. So ahead of the funeral, the police installed extra metal concrete security barriers, it's part of a tactic known as hostile vehicle management to stop people from deliberately driving their cars into the crowds of mourners. And in regards to the terror threat, this is from a, another official over there. He said that what they will also do for an event of this magnitude is an event-specific threat. This will cover specific threats to the event around the Queen's funeral, and intelligence agencies will be monitoring people they have identified as potential risk. So you could be completely uninterested in the funeral, not even there. Yet you could be being surveilled by the intelligence community over there because you've been flagged as a potential risk. I don't know what those flags are, but I imagine that what they're telling us, and this seems elaborate here to me, was far, far more elaborate than they're actually revealing. And because most cops don't have guns over there, and the funeral has all these people there who they, they need to protect they don't, they don't have to protect everybody else, the commoner, you know, just, just protect them. They needed cops there who were authorized to hold guns. So they had to call these officers in. And there's apparently only a small group of officers in the UK who are authorized to carry guns. They had to call them in from all across the UK. And it says that overall, the UK has only 6,192 armed police officers. That's just 4.3% of the country's 100,000, uh, 142,526 police officers. 4.2% of their cops have guns, and they had to call them all in. What a great experiment in mass security and crowd control 
this is. Probably one of the biggest gatherings in human history. Big Brother is always watching. The lessons learned here. This reminds me of like a vigilant guard type thing. They did one of these in Georgia a couple couple years back where they do real accidents and in, in, uh, like have a train tip over and they have crisis actors that are that are real crisis actors. Like they call them that, but not everybody in the area actually knows because they just kind of put a piece of paper saying we're doing an experiment on like a, a next to a bathroom at a, at a ballpark or something. So hardly anybody knows. So they think it's real. And wh- what they do is they try and get the stress, the system, they bring in federal, they bring in state, they bring in local and they drain their resources to see what they can, they can put up with. And then they apply the lessons learned to the future. What a great lessons learned challenge that they, that they're going to get here. And they're definitely going to apply worldwide, in my opinion, to future massive events, all I know is this. If you're in London, one million CCTV cameras. You could pull a piece of gum out of your pocket. I think they would see it over there in London. Okay, so this could this illustrated a lot of things to me. One, it illustrated the power of the monarch. Definitely. Definitely illustrated that power. Vast power, actually. However, I think it also could be, in the future, a place that, uh, a time that was pointed to as when the downfall of the the monarch's power began because i don't think this king is going to last very long i think he is all on board on that climate agenda he did give that speech at davos he's a huge 2030 agenda guy uh sustainable development goals but he's just too old and he's not liked and his mentor was jimmy saville saville whatever and that's not going to win you too many too many hearts over there, even though the Queen had associations with him as well. They did knight him twice over there. The whole monarch is associated with that creep, that horrible guy. But the King's likability is not high enough. They might use him for some climate change stuff, but I don't think he's going to be there very long because around the world, they're kind of getting rid of the old and bringing in the new, just like I think Joe Biden is going to be out. And I think that they're going to have the younger King, I think he's around 40, his son, the the King's son, become king sooner than later. Whether the current king steps down, I don't know. We will see what happens here. It's going to be interesting to see what the the months bring, the, the coming months bring. Oh, and if you're wondering what event right now is said to be the most watched in history before the queen's funeral happened, the top events up until today were the funeral of Princess Diana, the 2008 Beijing Olympics, the opening ceremony, and the funeral of Michael Jackson. Oh, and the moon landing. I watched none of those. I watched zero of those events. I didn't even watch the Queen's event. I just watched clips of it. That's all. It was too long and boring and weird. Ceremonial. Grandiose. Moving on to the next story. Speaking of the security presence there, there's been stories about protesters getting arrested over there, which have been alarming. I I have pointed out some of them. But there was one that kind of changed my perspective on some of this that I saw today. And this was about a guy who is a lawyer a barrister. His name is Paul Palsland, and he's also a nature rights activist. He traveled over to the Capitol over there where all the stuff's being held, and he protested by holding up a blank piece of paper, and apparently an officer said that he was warned that he would be arrested if he were to write, not my king, on the blank piece of paper. That's how the story was presented. That is alarming at first glance. However, here's what the guy said, because there is a kind of another angle to the story. He says he went down there because he's increasingly concerned that people uh, who are exercising their rights are being arrested or threatened. And he said he couldn't risk it getting arrested. So he didn't want to write a slogan. He just brought a blank piece of paper. And 
So he holds up this blank piece of paper. Some officers, he says, came to speak to him. I don't know that I buy that part of it. And he said he tried to find out from them, from some of them. So I guess he asked multiple of them this question, that if he wrote, not my king on there, would they arrest him? They said they didn't know. And then he went for a walk. And he says, another cop came by. And there's a a short video of this, but you can't see much. I'll tell you what you see, actually, in a second. At least what I saw, anyway. They said that if he did write, not my king on there, that they may well arrest him for being offensive. So we've all seen AOC get arrested by pretending to put her hands behind her back and doing these protest actions. And Linda Sarsour does this all the time. I actually have a video somewhere. I've played it on multiple shows of Jan Sikowski. She's, a, I think, a congresswoman from Chicago. And she was married to Robert Creamer, who was he worked in the Clinton administration at one point or something like that. And I think he's dead now. But he was in prison for a while for some of his actions. She is at a Netroots Nation activist training session telling all the activists there that they need to see people getting pulled out of wheelchairs on the front page of all of the newspapers, the major newspapers. And that is exactly what they got. They were teaching bird dogging, which bird dogging is basically you go and you get in the face of a public official and you pretend to be virtuous and you say all these things and you shout at them, but you, you refuse to back down. You go try and get punched in the face while your friend films it. So you go do something that makes either the public official or the police do something that you can then blast all over all of your social media channels, your indivisible channels, as though you got oppressed and beaten by an authority figure. And I think that's what this guy was doing here. The officer said stupid stuff, absolutely said stupid stuff. There's no doubt about it. But this guy was pushing him and pushing him and pushing him. And when you go to this guy's Twitter account, it's full of climate activist stuff. I don't know why he's doing it. The king's on his side, but the guy does this for a living. And it's now the cop, should he have been a little smarter? Are they actually doing things over there to violate people's rights? Absolutely, I'm certain. I'm certain. With that police presence there, there is no doubt there are. But it just stuck out to me because my initial reaction was, oh, these, these police are arresting these people that are just trying to express that they don't like the king. But then I remembered all of the stuff that goes on here all of the time. All of the time. Activists, we're an activist nation that provoke people and try and set people up. So yes, there are real activists that have their rights violated, but also, and I needed to remind myself of this, there are these bird doggers who, for their own benefit, their own stardom, their own financial gain, go and provoke public officials into doing something that they can put on camera and, and then fundraise off of. And I think that's what was going on here. That's why I want to tell that story is because it, I, I, I got kind of taken by it and then I stepped back and realized that, wow, okay, I think this might be something a little bit different. And it's not clear cut, okay? I think it's a little, I think it's both sides' fault, actually. The guy was kind of a jerk, the, the protester, but the cop was flustered and he didn't say the right things. There's no doubt about that. All right, next story. And this is my favorite story of the day. It really is, because it's just the audacity of these people. It's like it's 2016 all over again. Because, you know, first President Biden, he resurrected the former White House chief of staff and chair of Hillary Clinton's campaign, or campaign manager, the creepy John Podesta from whatever hell he's been residing in for the past six years or so. You might remember Podesta from the infamous Podesta emails or other scandals like the spirit cooking controversy and maybe a controversy related to pizza. I don't know. Biden brought this clown back to be his White House senior climate advisor, where he has been tasked with executing Biden's climate law and overseeing the $370 billion the US, the, in U.S. climate spending. So he, he's been 
given the put in charge of that. It's fantastic. And if you did if you don't think that that 2016 reboot, if that doesn't warm your heart, then perhaps this one will. The Clinton Global Initiative is back. That's right. The scandal-laden Clinton organization and its many controversies has reemerged and is holding a two-day conference today and tomorrow or yesterday and today, depending on when you are watching slash listening to this. This organization shut down back in 2016, a little bit after the 2016 election, and this is what it says on Wikipedia as to why they shut down. When foreign donations to the foundation came under scrutiny, I would say that perhaps it, it is one of the other things that was putting a spotlight on the Clinton Global Initiative back then. And that is when Jeffrey Epstein's sex scandals were finally getting more attention. I, I think that that is why it shut down because of the connections of Jeffrey Epstein to the Clinton Global uh, Initiative, who is stated in a court document as having conceived of the Clinton Global Initiative. And this is accepted by the court, never disputed by Clinton. I've been doing research on the Epstein case before all of that happened, back, back in 2015, I talked to one of the lawyers of the victims. I looked at all of the court documents. I read them. I read hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages of them. I read the full plea negotiation letter. And Epstein at that time was facing life in prison, potentially, for the crimes that he was being charged with. He got a plea deal that got him 13 months in jail. It was, he was in a jail, I believe like a nice wing of a jail that I think he even funded in Florida. I think it was a county jail. He was allowed to have his security team there, and on the weekends, he was allowed to go home and work with an ankle bracelet, ankle bracelet on. So from life in prison to that, and I think he even got out a little bit sooner because of good behavior. So how do you get a plea deal like that? Well, you get a plea deal like that because you have a powerful lawyer. This is why I'm not a big fan of Dershowitz. I know a lot of people have kind of come the other way with Dershowitz, but I'm not a fan of him. And Dershowitz, they intimidated the prosecutors down there. A lot of people quit. Some people even died through this whole story. It's a crazy, crazy story that they did not give attention to until 2016, 2017. And then I think that the Clinton Global Initiative, I think, I think that's why they, they shut down back then. But Epstein is now dead. There's some distance. And so now they can reemerge. And in that plea negotiation letter, and I'll put that on screen when I edit this. I'll put some of it on screen. I have the whole thing. It's like 38 pages. I have it on my other computer. But what they did in there, because this was the basis of his plea deal, is they boasted about all of the nonprofits that he works with, all of the wonderful things that he did, all of the powerful people he's associated with. They talked about his connections with the Trilateral Association, with the Rockefeller Foundation. His friendship with Bill Clinton is boasted about in this plea negotiation letter that got him that deal from life to basically nothing, a slap on the wrist. And also, it mentions how, I'll read the exact quote here, it says that Mr. Epstein was part of the original group that conceived the Clinton Global Initiative, which is described as a project bringing together a global, a community of global leaders of, uh, to devise and implement innovative solutions to some of the world's most pressing challenges. Focuses of this initiative include poverty, climate change, global health, and religious and ethnic conflicts. That was back in 2000, 2005. They're still, they got the climate change thing going on there. So Epstein conceived of the Clinton Global Initiative. It is his baby. The court accepted this, and on the basis of this, they gave him a sweetheart deal. The Clintons never disputed this ever. They just shut the place down instead. So this is his baby, and his baby has reemerged, and Bill Clinton is out promoting Jeffrey Epstein, the baby that he and Jeffrey Epstein and his wife all made together. That, to me, 
is what people need to be talking about with the reemergence of the global. I look like a, a conductor the way I'm throwing my hands around like a crazy person right now. That is what people need to be talking about in the media. But they didn't. They didn't talk about it at all. Bill Clinton, they pulled him out of whatever hell he's been in. And Fareed Zakaria interviewed him about this Clinton Global Initiative reemergence and the little conference that they're doing today and tomorrow. Here is what Bill Clinton and Fareed Zakaria had to say. Where, uh, there we go. world we're in now, the gains do tend to accrue to people who are educated. They do. Who are they tend to accrue. Oh, sorry, that's a, I don't know why that clip started at the end. Here's the beginning. Clinton Global Initiative will hold an annual meeting. In attendance will be world leaders, Hollywood stars, corporate titans, NGO heads, and activists from around the world. They will meet to discuss many of the problems that plague society and commit to help solving them. Clinton explained that he, Hillary, and Chelsea were bringing back the meeting because the world faces an urgent and historic moment, including several existential challenges. I want to ask you <clears throat> about the, the Clinton Global Initiative and, and many of the issues that you're dealing with there. Um, w one of the issues that, that you've talked about is inclusive growth and the difficulty of getting that kind of inclusive growth. And it feels like this is so much at the heart of the, 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 the inequality, the political tensions. Um, is there a is there a simple solution to this? People have been trying to do it, but the problem seems to be in a knowledge economy, in the world we're in now, the gains do tend to accrue to people who are educated. They do. They connected. tend to accrue. So you need public policy and private action. All right. So there's the very decrepit looking Bill Clinton. He's an older guy. I get it. I feel like they could have put a little more makeup on him, but maybe he wanted to have that old old, old, super wise man look. I don't know. But public policy, private action, non-governmental organizations, this is the public privacy partnership that Klaus Schwab talks about all the time, that the World Economic Forum, that the Great Reset is all about at the global level. And that's not the only similarity that that little statement there has with the Great Reset. Speaking at the Clinton Global Initiative event today and tomorrow is the one and only BlackRock CEO, Larry Fink. Now, BlackRock is a partner with the World Economic Forum, and they are the largest ESG investor on the planet. So if you have a high ESG score, BlackRock will give you money. They're the company that bribes global corporations into doing very public woke things, alienating their customer base in the hopes that BlackRock is going to give them more money that will compensate their losses. They, they are the, this global, the global evil that a lot of people see can be embodied by BlackRock. And BlackRock is also in cahoots here with the Clinton Global Initiative. So the lineup of this event, there's a number of interesting folks that are speaking at the Clinton Global Initiative first event in six years now that they don't have Jeffrey Epstein to worry about. It includes a mix of international leaders, politicians, corporate executives, and celebrity philanthropists. Many, per many participants make measurable commitments to action on problems such as climate change and world hunger. Climate change agenda right there. And it says here, among those in attendance will be Matt Damon, Bono, Ashley Judd, Robin White, literally the woman 
who played the first lady and then ultimately the president in House of Cards. They probably would have brought Kevin Spacey in if it didn't seem too Jeffrey Epstein-y. And, of course, Lin-Manuel Miranda, the, the rapper and Nobel Prize winner. I can't even say this person's name. They have Lorene Powell Jobs. I think that's Steve Jobs' wife or widow. Governor Ga- Gavin Newsom, of course. The Queen of Arania of Jordan. There's a lot of queens and kings even going to this from the list that I read. And also, of course, Bill Clinton. They're going to be Bill Clinton's going to be speaking. Hillary, Chelsea, they're going to be speaking. Larry Fink, BlackRock, uh, Fareed Zakaria is going to be there. The person doing this interview, he is of CNN and the Washington Post. Melinda Gates, the president of the Rockefeller Foundation, will be there. The co-founder and chairman of Moderna will be there. Someone named Janice Baldler who is apparently the Counselor for Racial Equity for the U.S. Department of Treasury, will be there. The Executive Director of the U.N. Population Fund will be there. Cindy McCain will be there. The U.S. Surgeon General will be there. And, of course, the President of Kosovo and journalists from MTV, The Atlantic, and Vice. So, so there you go. It appears the gang is all back together. Perhaps they will pour one out for their fallen co-founder, co-conceiver, actually, Jeffrey Epstein, Or perhaps just half of one because maybe he's on an island somewhere with the Queen of England. Who knows? Before we get to our final story of the free portion of the show, which will be about what happened when President Biden was asked about his son Hunter during a 60 Minutes interview yesterday, we're going to talk about either the rest of those clips, if we don't get to all of them, which we may not, or, and we might talk about the latest woke cultural statement made by SNL with their latest casting and a story that further shows that politics are nothing more than WWE in suits. If you want access to that content, that subscriber-only content, go to patreon.com slash propaganda report and subscribe there, or go to propreport.com, excuse me, go to propreport.locals.com and subscribe there. What you get on top of the subscriber-only portion of the show is you also get this show, the Drive Time News Blast ad-free. I take out all of the ads you might be hearing for those who are subscribers. Check it out now. On to the final story of the day. Some of you might have seen the interview that Biden gave with 60 Minutes yesterday. I watched it. It was was interesting. (laughs) 60-minute interviews are always so... They try and seem so serious, but I have a hard time taking them seriously because they're all on the same side and they're just pretending to be very dramatic with each other. But it aired last night and the topics of the conversation ranged from COVID to Biden's mental health to his son Hunter. And he said some things... Biden did. He said some things, definitely. That's definitely true. And of the things that he said, first is he was speaking about the pandemic. And you, you might have heard this one, but I'll play the clip for you anyway, in case you haven't. As he was, said the pandemic's over, it's done. Here he is talking about that. President, first Detroit auto show in three years. Yeah. Is the pandemic over? The pandemic is over. We still have a problem with COVID. We're still doing a lot of work on it. Uh, it's, but the pandemic is over. If you notice, no one's wearing masks. Everybody seems to be in pretty good shape. And so I think it's changing. And I think this is a perfect example of it. Okay. So this show here, he says, nobody's wearing masks. And you see in the image here, there's clearly somebody wearing a mask. Like right there in the image of somebody wearing a mask. I went into Publix earlier today. Lots of people wearing masks. Yeah. People are still wearing masks, Joe, because they've been shamed into not doing it and made to think they're, they're going to get in trouble if they don't. Not to mention that, I, I saw a story about a, a vaccine mandate that went into... Uh, so 
the last New York school workers on unpaid leave lose their jobs after refusing to get coronavirus vaccine. This is a story from yesterday. Okay, so Biden says the pandemic's over, yet all of this is still going on. I don't know what this is. This seems like some sort of weird appeal to the midterms to make it seem as though he's not behind that anymore. Because I know people who won't vote Democrat because of the vaccine mandates that they supported, especially here in Georgia with Stacey Abrams. The you know she's a, a would be a great linebacker for the Falcons, but she's a politician. That's her career path. But a lot of people won't vote for her because of that. And I don't know what Joe's doing here. Because clearly the way they're talking about it is not over. Or they're just changing the conversation about it is all there is. Yet all of the things they put in place are going to remain. All of the restrictions on our freedom will still be in place. And Joe then goes on to talk about, where are we here? Oh, is no, that's not his mental focus yet. All right, so here is, here's Joe being asked about whether or not he is going to run for office again. And here's what he has to say about that. Uh, requirements I have to change and move and do. Oh, wait, starting in the middle. There we go. Sir, are you committed to running again, or are there certain conditions that have to be right? Look, if I were to say to you I'm running again, all of a sudden a whole range of things come into play that I have uh, requirements I have to change and move and do. In terms of election laws? In terms of election laws. And it's much too early to make that kind of decision. I'm a great respecter of fate. And so what I'm doing is I'm doing my job. I'm going to do that job. And within the time frame that makes sense after this next election cycle here, going into next year, make a judgment of what to do. You say that it's much too early to make that decision. I take it the decision has not been made in your own head. Look, my intention, as I said to begin with, is that I would run again. But it's just an intention. But is it a firm decision that I run again? That remains to be seen. Okay, so Joe's not going to run again. Joe might even be out before then. I think he's going to be out before then. But that, that, it could not be more clear. It used to be that the media would ask Democrats, Do you, would you want Joe Biden to run again? And they would say, if he runs, I'll support him. No, nobody ever said yes. But even Joe Biden can't say that Joe Biden's going to run again. He should have said, do you want Joe Biden to run again? And he probably would have given the same answer. If I run again, I will give myself full support just like last time. Joe Biden is not running again. There's no doubt about that. So we'll get a Gavin Newsom running again, which, whatever. Gavin Newsom, at least he's entertaining a little bit, more entertaining than most of these people. A couple more here, then we will get out of here to the XR. So this one here, before we get to the Hunter Biden one, it's my favorite one. This is Joe's comment on on Ukraine, and he's just so, he tries to be so serious and intimidating, but he's not. He's just not serious and intimidating to most people. Ukraine succeeds. These clips are starting in the middle. You're not quite sure north. why, but this is the beginning of the clip here. You're already north of $15 billion in terms right. of those commitments. How far do you go? As long as it takes. I should start that over. My apologies. This is, they're talking about the billions of dollars worth of aid that we've sent to Ukraine. You're already north of $15 billion in terms right. of those commitments. How far do you go? As long as it takes. Ironclad commitment. Yes. As if you're watch, or if you're not watching this, the expression on Joe's face when he says "yes," as though he's so serious, that was clearly edited, in my opinion. You see how they're going back and forth in this video? It's not a wide shot; it's the up close shots because they have to get these shots of him looking real. Yes, like he's definitely never a doubt in his mind that he was going to continue sending 
that aid, even though it might not get voted for if Republicans win, enough of them win in November. What a joke. Ukraine succeeds on the battlefield. Vladimir Putin is becoming embarrassed and pushed into a corner. And I wonder, Mr. President, what you would say to him if he is considering using chemical or tactical nuclear weapons. Don't, don't, don't. It will change the face of war unlike anything since World War II. And the consequences of that would be what? What would the U.S. response be? You think I would tell you if I knew exactly what it would be? Of course I'm not going to tell you. It'll be consequential. They'll become more of a pariah in the world than they ever have been. And depending on the extent of what they do, will determine what response would occur. Okay, they're going to become more of a pariah in the world. He threatened them, definitely. Don't, don't, don't do it. He's just not an intimidating figure. That doesn't mean that if Putin did that or if Putin was blamed for doing something like that, that who knows did, that there wouldn't be something happen. But Joe Biden, is they seem to be very much editing this back and forth here in a very specific way to try and make him look intimidating when he is just, he, he seems like he's half asleep to me. Okay. And they also talked about Taiwan. I'm not even going to get into that today. But here is Joe being asked about his mental capacity. I have trouble even mentioning, even saying to myself my own head the number of years. I no more think of myself as being as old as I am than fly. I mean, it's just not... Uh, what does that mean? I've never heard that. Is that some sort of saying that I missed? I, I've never, I don't think of myself as being old as I am as fly. Uh, I haven't observed anything in terms of... There's not things I don't do now that I did before, whether it's physical or mental or anything else. Okay, well, that's... I don't think a person who is mentally declining would notice those things. In fact... From my understanding and my experience being around it, when you are in a condition like that, you don't often notice. You, you do notice some things for sure, but you can't analyze somebody's mental condition who people believe they're in severe decline by asking the person who is in severe decline mentally what they they think of themselves. And nobody's ever going to say it. You think, you think he's going to say, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm, my brain's dead. I don't know. He's not going to say it. They're pumping me up on drugs all the time. That's not going to be the response. This is a useless, stupid question. Nice job pretending to be a journalist. This guy was 60 minutes. They always pretend to be so serious. They're not. They're not actual real journalists. They don't actually ask real questions. And you'll see here, because the clip I'm about to play you, there was no follow-up. There was no, no follow-up to Joe's response to this question about Hunter Biden. They asked the Hunter Biden question just to make it seem like, look, I did my due diligence and I asked the question. They never follow up. The real in journalism, the follow-up question is, the, is real journalism because that's where you're going to get – that's where you're going to be able to – all this other stuff is scripted. You're going to be able to actually get to the deeper details when you ask follow-up questions to their actual responses, but they won't do that because all this stuff is scripted. Here is Joe being asked about his smartest man he knows, Hunter Biden. Ukrainian company at the time that his father – Damn it. Sorry. Here's the beginning of the clip. Hunter Biden's former addiction to crack cocaine led to a life he describes as nonstop depravity. He has also acknowledged a federal investigation into his taxes. Congress. There's the photo on screen for those listening. It's just really intent, Hunter Biden. It looks like he's staring at other people's children in this photo. 
Congress investigated Hunter Biden's job with a Ukrainian company at the time that his father ran Ukrainian policy in the Obama administration. A Republican investigation, however, uncovered no wrongdoing by then-Vice President Biden. Mr. President, if you run again, Republicans are most likely to go after your son, Hunter, once again. And I wonder what you would like to say about your son and whether any of his troubles have caused conflicts for you or for the United States. I love my son, number one. He fought an addiction problem. He overcame it. He wrote about it. He overcame it, he says. Don't know that I buy that. And no, there's not a single thing that I've observed at all from that would affect me or the United States relative to my son, Hunter. Okay, that makes perfect sense. There's videos of his son in depravity tanks, self-deprivation tanks, floating some weird green background and apparently like a secret service agent in there also because you can hear them. And Hunter gets very upset about it, playing with his cell, with himself, you know, you know, tweaking his toothpick and doing smoking crack cocaine while filming himself, which he he films himself because he's got some some sort of dysmorphia, body dysmorphia around his his genitals. It's a major thing for him. That, that's something else that was apparently discovered on the Hunter Biden laptop. There's the videos of Hunter with Russian honey traps and Russian, what appears to be Russian handlers who he went on like a 30-day bender with in Las Vegas. This is the most compromised person on the planet. Now, they're leaking this stuff out there and people are ignoring it. So the more they get it out there and nobody cares, the less compromised he is. So maybe that's what Joe is thinking. However... There's not a sane person on the planet with a, a brain cell in their mind that believes that there's nothing associated with his son that could jeopardize Joe's presidency or this country. There's absolutely everything. Now, now maybe they can null it and make people not care. Maybe that's what they're doing. I think that they're saving it. I think this is foreshadowing how they're going to get Hunter out, either why he doesn't run or, or the media, as I said before, is going to pretend to expose the Hunter Biden stuff and force Joe out. And then Kamala comes in and we get our first female president. If you can call her a female. I don't know if demons have sexes, but she appears to be a female to most of us anyway. Okay. So that's going to wrap it up with that little Hunter Biden. This is one of the biggest, obvious, most obvious lies you're going to see. And we're going to take it over to the DMBXR, see if this new setup here works. And go ahead and play some outro music. Do we hear it? I think it's coming in. I think you might be able to hear it faintly. It'll get louder and louder. And uh, thank you for watching the show today. I'm working with the technical aspect of it when I do the show solo. And it's a learning experience, but I'm getting better at it. So I appreciate you guys listening and I appreciate you guys watching. You can find the Propaganda Reports Drive Time News Blast wherever you get your podcast. And a new website is coming soon. It will be out and published soon. Look out for that. We will talk to you all next time. Have a fantastic rest of your day.